this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com. That's the Dig Me Out Union that we are forming, including, Jay, our newest patron, Azoko Loco. <laughs> I love it. Welcome. Welcome. We've had a bunch of new $2 pledges this month. Very exciting. Thank you all for joining us. Looking forward to your contributions in the community on our polls, on our upcoming episodes, and uh, your votes and all those sorts of things. So, And, and uh, thank you for helping us keep all these episodes online. Yes. As our bill <laughs> increases with everyone. Exponentially, exponential growth, Jay. Yep. And... We also have to thank the the gentleman who who brought this episode to us. It's his 12-month pick. He's on the other side of the globe. Couldn't join us for this one. He's been on in past episodes, and I'm sure he'll join us in the future. Jason Pan suggested this record. It's – I'm going to say it's deuce. Is that how you say it, Jay? D, lowercase mm. d, uppercase e-u-s. Is that I, right? I, I was going to say deus. Deus? Oh, okay. Deus, like Deus Machina. That that's what I'm thinking. I don't know what the capitalization is supposed to be, but So Jason Pan suggested this record. It's Deus Deus. Their nineteen ninety nine album released on Island Record. It's called The Ideal Crash. Now Here's the thing about it. It did not come out in the United States. You can get it, but it was not officially released in the U.S. Huh. Released on okay. Island only in the U.K. and Australia and, um, you know, some other places. I had noticed the uh, record label for streaming is Universal Music Belgium. Right. So they're a Belgian band okay, formed in 1991. The... Only continue the continuous members are um, Tom Barman on vocals and guitar and Klaus Klaus no Klaus Mine. John Zunes on keyboards and violin um, and then they've had a different set of drummers bassists and guitarists backing vocalists um, for this particular record. In 1999, it was um, Jules DeBorger on drums, um, Danny Mommins on bass, and Craig Ward on guitar, along with Tom and Klaus. So they've been pretty uh, consistent. Up in between 1994 and 2012, they had uh, seven albums. They took a small break in there. From 99 to 2005, actually after this record came out. So the debut, Worst Case Scenario, came out in 1994. 
That was on um, Bang Records, which was then, uh, I think, either purchased by Island or was a subsidiary or got re-released. And then 1996, In a Bar Under the Sea. And then the third album, The Ideal Crash, was 99. And then they took a break. The band members went off and did some different things. They returned in 2005 with Pocket Revolution, 2008 with Vantage Point, 2011 with Keep You Close, which we'll get back to in a minute, and then Following C in 2012. So the interesting thing about uh, this band was I, I kind of knew the, who they were only because on the 2011 album, Keep You Close, Greg Dooley sings on two of the songs. Oh, okay. Can you hear that? So, and I, I was looking through like his discography and he did a lot of that in the 2000s, like guesting on other people's records as a vocalist. Which is funny, because when I think about Greg Dooley, although he's a very unique singer, I never think of him as, like, a good singer, necessarily. So the fact that people want him to sing on his record, their records, uh, just shows how much his personality as a singer matters, as opposed to his technical prowess as a singer. Right. He can deliver a tune. I mean, oh, yeah. he's got his own thing. He's, he's just got his not, own thing. You know. Yep. Right. So and it's nothing but love for 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 the Dooley Meister. Um, <laughs> Dooley Meister, <laughs> like that. Oh, I haven't heard a good Meister in a while. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So this was produced di- by Dave Bottrell, who Jay, you should know that name because we just pre- we just reviewed an album that he did. Really, Tools. Anima. Oh, okay. He's also did he also did Remy Zero's Villa Elaine, which we've reviewed. Mm. He also did Muse's Origin of Symmetry. And a bunch of other ones. He's been very busy in the two thousands. Um he did the last albums by that we would know by um yeah, well, Smashing Pumpkins, although they've had an album since then. I'm sorry. That, I was thinking Oceana was the last one, but they've actually put out a record since then. Um, he's worked with a lot of heavy bands. And then he also has worked with Silverchair and Placebo and Rush, The Tea Party. So a lot of bands that we know. Also did some King Crimson and some Mudvayne and Godsmack and Dream Theater. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, I'm Mother Earth. Stained, Coheed and Cam- Cambria, diverse, interesting um, career as a as a producer. So let's get in. The only uh, comments we got on this record were from Jason himself. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read some of the notes, and then we can talk about some of them during the the show. He said. Um, well, on the Patreon page, he said, A Belgian band with a taste for the weird, the Antwerp-based Five Pieces 1999 album is considered the highlight of their career, produced by Bave Bottrell. It reigned in their previous schizo tendencies to a more cohesive album, never released in the U.S. for some reason. It's a favorite of mine, and glad I get a chance to raise its flag back up on back up there on his 20th anniversary so he mentioned the 20th anniversary it's 99 they actually released uh an anniversary edition of this and he sent a picture uh of the liner notes for the um 
it's a, the double LP, which includes demos, live recordings, and rarities, along with the full-length album. And it was remastered at Abbey Road Studios. Yeah, and that's available on streaming. Yes. Yes, correct. There's uh, 11 additional tracks. Yep. And this is um, a 10-track, 56-minute long album, so... We'll get in more of his comments as we move through the record, but let's, um, oh, and just for, uh, just for, uh, the sake of the, uh, info, it's sold about 250,000 copies worldwide, and the first week it was on sale in Belgium, it sold 25,000 copies, which is gold status in Belgium, 25,000 copies. In the so, first week? In the first week. Well, okay. I mean, Belgium's a small country, so compared to gold there, compared to what's gold in the United States, half a million? Yes. So that's that's impressive. But this is their only album that did not actually get released in the United States. Very odd. Yeah. Let's get into it, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about The Ideal Crash by Deus. Well, uh, it's interesting to hear that the band sounds like they started more experimental to, than this record, because what I heard was more of a pop band getting experimental. I kind of heard it the opposite way when I listened to the record, and, and that's what I enjoyed. So the the songs take you on a pretty good journey. I think when they work well, you get a good uh, flow in terms of dynamics Often they end in noisy or unexpected ways, which I enjoyed. There's a good amount of hooks and sort of pop sensibility just in terms of the song structure structures and you know there's there's melodies, there's discernible choruses. Uh, the interest comes with I think the unexpected use of instruments, the layering, and I just think some potentially some not just unexpected use of instruments but even um uh, combinations of chords and parts that may be a little bit off kilter Mm -hmm. um there's some warbly guitar and mellotron that gives it some eerie feel but it's all wrapped around largely for a lot of the record what sounds like to me just a alternative pop along the likes of you know, maybe the more commercial Radiohead or Flaming Lips or Wilco Frames. I mean, those are some of the bands that came to mind in terms of what the core of the songs were. So I appreciated that and how it they were open to you know exploring these songs that they're usually rather long you know, at the five minute mark, and ultimately they take you on a pretty good journey when they work well. You start in one place and and you end up ending in a very fairly different one. Yeah, I appreciated the instrumental diversity of this record, even within songs. You know, on a on a song like Instant Street, Instant Street, which is number six. You know, to have like a banjo mm. on this record was totally yeah, unexpected. Yep. And it gives this. It almost sounded like Cracker or something. You know what I mean? Like. I was not expecting that at all on that song. You're probably right. 
gives it this weird organic feel when there, you can hear how much of this record is keyboards and loops and a lot of sampling and and like you mentioned the Mellotron you know, there's a lot of stuff going on and there's clearly this is a production album I don't know how you would pull this off live without multiple members doing lots of things and the diversity of it as a headphone record where you can hear you know multiple vocal tracks going on using counters um like on the first first song on the record um put the freaks up front there's like multiple vocal tracks at certain points in the song and you know it starts out it's got this like noise rock like when the record starts out and you're like okay this is gonna be like a noise rock record this is gonna be like in the jesus and lizard uh you know shellac end of things that's what i was expecting and yeah. then it completely diverts away from that and i'm like oh this is not the ride i was expecting to take yeah and then like the second track sister do was more in the vein of like portis head or something and i really like how once you make it through the record you hear the cohesiveness of the band even though so many of the songs go on different journeys whether they are channeling you know the bands that we've mentioned or like i heard some granddaddy on some of these songs like on track um five the the title track the ideal crash the way that he used his vocal with that like where they pulled the bass out and it sounds like it's going through like a telephone that mm-hmm. reminded me of jason lytle a lot like what he was doing in the 90s yeah and there are just lots of really cool little bits and pieces like that where whether it's string sections that come in on the back half of a song to build some drama as the song is closing out or there'll be like little guitar lines and and there's a few points where the guitars get loud but a lot of times the guitar lines are just alternate melody lines and I like that they use them both as like sort of just little accents and then also there's some parts where they really kick them in and and give you some distortion and it's not a it's weird because it's kind of a mellow record in a lot of ways but it's not a quiet record in in the same respect like they definitely get loud and they definitely get like dissonant yeah but they don't ever it there's no fast songs that like there's some pitter-patter drums that like move at a faster pace but it's not like punk speed no, 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 no. 
it's more slappy than yeah yeah it's yeah. it's reminds that and that's where it reminds me of like 2000s radiohead you get those yeah. slappy drums <laughs> i don't know what to call them but there's just like a lot of hitting even though it's mid-tempo i One, one advice space. Uh, yeah. That sounds a lot like Radiohead Karma Police to me. Uh, the way the piano is used and the drum, the combination of the piano part and the drum part to me sound a lot like Radiohead Karma Police, um, which is fine. Uh, that's probably the most derivative to me feeling aspect of the record. Uh, the let's talk about Ancestry a little bit more. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the song that worked the best. Um, it was unexpected. The banjo choice of banjo is pretty brilliant. It also has a very cool ending. Like a riff comes in, it really changes things up. Oh yeah! Uh, it takes a very crazy turn. Uh, that's I thought was again as successfully as the song starts, it ends just as successfully in a very unexpected way. I also felt like it's a song where his vo- voice gets to shine. Uh, the record can be dense with a lot of layers. His, his voice is a very cool tone, but he's not, you know, projecting a whole lot. So sometimes he can get buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like when there's some space, and a song like Instant Street opens up enough space that you can hear the instruments and you can really appreciate. You know the tone of his voice and his singing style. I, I would love to hear more material like this. Let's talk. Let me get into Jason's notes because he wrote some of his thoughts, and this is where we normally ask our guest who suggested the album for their thoughts. And he said, "Sometimes an album boils down to a single riff. I'm pretty sure the first decade of hearing this album without any singles continuously bubbling up on radio to remind me of it, the ideal crash." was living in my memory for a long time solely as the riff as the last two and a half minutes of Instant Street. The band came back into the front of my brain again after I saw them on tour in Australia in 2012, but nevertheless, that riff is definitely where I will crank up the amplifier now. I've gone and got the new 20-year anniversary reissue of the LP this week. I became familiar with Deus uh, back in 2002 when I came across them, across the album previous to this one with its weird little singles like little arithmetics so when i saw a year or so later year or so after the ideal crash literally in the bargain bin for four dollars was an easy buy even for a broke uni student it is by far my favorite album of theirs wouldn't be surprised if many of your audience weren't familiar with this album even if they knew the band it remains their only album which didn't get u.s release which we mentioned earlier um it peaked at number two in their home country but received a flatter reception outside. Perhaps this is your first review of a Belgian band, Jay. Do we have statistics on... 
Reviews uh, by country? Question. No, we are not tracking that. We should be. Hmm. Might need to work on that. I can go on the site search and look it up real quick. It'll all come down to how good your notes are. Yeah, I don't know if I always notate what band is from where. I mean, I U.S. bands not always because it's not necessarily a point out. Yeah, no, re no results for Belgium. Okay, so this might be it. He went on to say, produced by Dave Bottrell, who I know from much heavier artists, the album saw only singer Tom Barman and vocalist violinist, violinist class John Zune's return from in the bar lineup. The massive Beefheart-style noise in previous albums coalesced into more concerted, albeit lengthy, songs. Barman's a limited singer, but even in his Cookie Monster mode of delivery... There's enough other instrumentation flying around to carry the song where the melody is lacking. Whether it's the banjo in Instant Street, the theremin in Sister Dew, the subtle brass and backing vocals in Put the Freaks Up Front, or the high lead riff in Everybody's Weird. When I hear Cookie Monster vocals, we have different descriptions, mm. like uh, oh, yeah, different yeah. definitions of what Cookie Monster vocals are. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I think of like the death metal yeah. garbly sound. Yeah, he just sounds like a raspy, I don't know, like almost all country singer. Or, I don't know, I was thinking of, um, it's the guy from Sparkle Horse or something like that. I mean, Mark I just Lin thought of it. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a band that I thought of because of the some of the production stuff. It reminded me of that. You know what a band, and I actually was playing this in the living room. I had listened to it on headphones, I listened to my car, and then I would just, I pulled my headphones out and I just had it playing on the speakers on my computer. And Katie goes, my wife says, are you listening to Spoon? Yeah, Is that the new Spoon yeah. record? And I'm like, yeah. no, but that's a, that's an interesting comparison because some yeah. of this reminded me of, you know, Spoon likes to play around with some odd instrumentation at times in their songs. And their songs can tend to be start one way and end another way, even though it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. They do they do some of that. And I don't I don't I don't think Britt Daniel vocally sounds as much he's got a little bit more like swagger it was his in his vocal but he's not yeah, too but, far off yeah tonally they can be in a similar place yeah but uh, uh, i'm listening uh thinking of magdalena track seven yeah and his voice to me shifts in that song between um brit daniel and our your 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 buddy uh dooley yeah in terms of uh you know, when things are slowed down and quieter, you hear more from his voice. So it seems like Jason and I are a little bit at odds there in that he's saying it's successful when it's layered because it kind of compensates for his vocal limitations. And I'm saying he's probably a better singer. I feel like he might be a better singer than what it's represented here and that all the layering sometimes competes with him. I had a hard time, like, it took me a while to get through this record in terms of repeated listens and, and trying to nail down like what am I hearing really yeah do I is this is this just a good music bed with somebody singing over it or is or is there an actual cohesion between the music and the and the lyrics and the think the thing that like where I figured out what I liked about both was when I realized that there was a comparison of band like Elbow oh which, yeah which drives Especially on their early stuff, I'm a big fan of their first record and their, their first couple records. 
But when they would drive songs with tension and adding, like when they add the 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 uh, the mellotron and like those like ghostly vocal sounds, when there's like weird stuff going on like that, that's when I'm most intrigued because you don't mm-hmm. hear that that often. And so, and that reminded me of the way that like elbow would create weird tension within songs, and that were slow to mid tempo, and I could never, I, I they're not the most um, hooky songs, but I always yep. remember a line or a delivery of something from one of those elbow songs, and that's what started to happen. Is I started to remember little lines and bits and pieces in these songs, and I went, okay, I'm, I got where he's coming from now. It's more about the the just the delivery than the yeah. than the actual song as a whole. I had a similar experience with this record. Uh, my first couple listens were in the car. Uh, it was not grabbing me. I was wandering. I wasn't able to focus. Rather boring for my commute. Uh, when I put it on the headphones and really dug into it, I enjoyed it much better. It, start, it was either the repetition of getting familiar with it and then revisiting it to where now I could start to pull it apart and it just kind of revealed itself during that process. I, I feel like I'm appreciating and understanding it more and more now as I listen to it. And like you, there's there's passages now and f- sections that I think are very memorable and signature, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Those, Like you said, like those uh, uh, moments on the elbow record where it gets epic in a very weird way (laughs) right yeah Uh, i think they're a little bit more dissonant than elbow is but um i can definitely see the comparison yeah it's it's spiritually similar there's uh, quite a bit different from those bands and the nice thing was is that i listened to this you know over and over again and i wasn't like well this is clearly just a radiohead ripoff you know there's they're doing enough differently or in their own way that I can't like say this is just a band that you know they were they started out some way and then decided to pivot like this is a fairly unique endeavor that I cannot strongly associate with any band of that time period or or directly came before that so what didn't work for you I don't uh, so it took me a bit to get into the record you right. know, uh, the first half of the record, I like track one, put the freaks up front, sister do one advice space space and the magic hour are okay. It, it's not really till the ideal crash where it started to really pull me in. Instant street is awesome. Um, Magdalena is, is really good. So that's the, to me, the strongest section of the record. I don't like the turn it takes with everybody's weird. I don't know if it's a sequencing thing or just a style choice. The song's okay. It just seems really strange coming after Magdalena. Like that, you go down this very almost organic, almost folky, country-ish, ballady kind of space, and then all of a sudden you go into the song that's almost like, I don't know, dance music or something. Well, it like sounds it's, like Fatboy Slim or or yeah, yeah, or or uh, I, DJ Shadow. Yeah. I, I'm not I, I didn't I don't get that where, where, where the record's going at that point everybody's
Um, let's see who goes down first. It's just a weird song. Um, it just feels like an album throwaway track to me. It ends strong on Dream Sequence number one. Um, I think that gets back to what the band does. It's a little jazzy. Uh, it's got some really cool, heavy, ominous keys in it. Mm-hmm. That warbling guitar comes back again. That's kind of eerie. So to me, that feels like where the maybe Magdalena should have jumped to. And I don't know what to do with the last two songs, the other two songs. Maybe you end on "Let's See What Goes Down First as like kind of your weird album ender. So it's really some sequencing questions I have. A couple songs that are not incredibly strong. Um, even though it's only 10 songs, you know, I, I think losing a song isn't going to kill this record. Um, I think the first half, I would probably am going to enjoy it the more I listen to it. Right now, I'm still lukewarm on a couple of those tunes. But um, again, like I said, this is a record. I think it's a it, it reveals itself the more time you spend with it. Yeah, I'll say this was a, a, a definitely an example of where the length started to wear on me where I started to look at the back half and go, well, do we need to end with two, six and a half minute long songs? And Mm -hmm. couldn't, you know, everybody's weird. Couldn't have that have just been like two minutes of, of like an interlude. It didn't even need vocals. (laughs) Like, does this song need to be, have this section here? Um, there was, it definitely felt like a CD length, you know, record as opposed to a couple of sides and um that's just uh you know i think the nature of this record which is so produced and definitely sounds like a studio record in a lot of ways that that's probably you know you can keep layering and you can keep extending and i'm i think a lot of the a lot of songs felt like they were around loops and stuff as opposed to or or a drummer played and they looped it. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of just keep going with that. Five everything is five yeah, minutes or that, more. Uh, yeah, that's that becomes a bit of a trap. We've seen that often on some of these right. records. Right, because where... then you just grab the the, the <laughs> file and Pro Tools and you just right. keep stretching and stretching and duplicating and duplicating and now your now your three minute drum part has turned into a six minute song. Yeah. So that's the. I mean, fundamentally, like there was no song that I turned off, and I liked listening to the record all the way through, but I just I felt it. Mm-hmm. Whereas some records, I can listen to them four or five times in a row, and I don't feel any fatigue. Whereas I was feeling fatigue after like the second time through, and I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna switch to something else so I can cleanse my palate. Yeah, and then start over. There's a lot to take in. There's a lot to take in. Well, and especially and I, I can't. Yeah. I'm not mentally prepared to get through the second disc yet. No. Well, especially because <laughs> it's a dense record, you have to like do a couple listens where you're just focused and trying to like pick out everything and you're like there is a lot to digest here. I'm there are a lot of notes to make with regards yeah. to everything that's happening. So, for our So let's just adjust it real quick. It's weird that this didn't come out in the United States. This isn't like so bizarre that in 1999 it couldn't have come out in the United States. Yeah, we've maybe even overstated the weirdness of it. Like I said, when I first listened to it, my first reaction was, oh, this is a band that was probably fairly middle of the road and is experimenting. So I, I was 
carry more of the pops out of the band out of the gate right. so it would have fit in very well with the post radiohead stuff on in america at that time yeah totally i it boggles my mind that they were a, a noisier more aggressive band before this and yet those got, records got released and this one didn't so for all overall ratings i'm gonna go with i'm gonna read jason's first because he gave us his rating he said on the worthy album better ep decent single he said for me looking back at it now probably a long ep with the front half a little more mid-tempo and meandering than i remember in particular track three once advice space despite its homage to tom waits in the lyrics wasted and wounded where nighthawks fly be only that one I'd fully truncate, though. However, the Magic Hour lives in a bit of an off-putting, loungy space for me, for the mm-hmm. most part, before coming to a more inspired coda. Similar story for Magdalena, where the coda rescues the song for me. Coda. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. That's, that's the, the best word. way to put those endings. So he's at an yep. EP. Where do you land? I'm, I, I like a lot of what Jason's saying. I think we're on the same page here um I'm, I'm i'm wavering here between an ep and an album i mean i've got five songs highlighted when i highlight a song it's okay this is good i like it if i don't yeah i'm still not there so i'm saying half of the record five songs that's about 30 minutes roughly right so well each, each song is about five to five and a half minutes so yeah yeah, yeah 25 so, to 30 minutes I'm at an EP plus. No, it's a five. You can, yeah, that's an EP. Yeah. I'm with you there. I mean, five to six songs is probably my max just to make it re-listenable over and over again. Um, I would love to do some serious editing to this record because I just feel like there's a couple... I feel like the weaker tracks just... They would make it... It would make it an album if they were just two to three minutes shorter yeah and they were or they were interludes or something like that like this this is a seven songs with three interludes you know that are a minute to a minute mm-hmm. and a half yeah would, would make more sense to me yeah that would because be really it's the music driving these songs in a lot of ways and it's yeah. the production so there's no need to like think of all these in terms of having to have of needing to have lyrics on every single one of them because the music carries so much of this record that it, it could work as instru- a lot more instrumental. It, it could. I, yeah, I'll, I'm with you if you shorten them down to true interludes. You know, I don't need five minutes of these songs with no vocals. No. A minute and a half to two minutes, sure. Um, and I, I like that he called out the, the codas uh, because in some of these cases, you got to stick around for that. And that to me really made up my mind how I felt on the song once I got through really the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you can't just kind of jump into the beginning, sample it, and try to get a feel of, of, of it. Uh, you really got to invest and get through it and then and maybe listen to it a couple more times and get the whole thing right. before you make a call. So that's, that's three EPs, Jay. Uh, we haven't had a, a person suggest an album that they gave an EP. <laughs> in in quite a long time. In fact, I don't remember it happening. Amen. So, we have a lot of people recommending records that I, I I like that they're pulling stuff they think is 
valuable to talk about and people should know more about and just get conversation and yes. they're not necessarily just fangirls or fanboys you know so i like that that's fun i do as well reminder be like jason who we thank for supporting the podcast for the last 12 months yes. and actually much longer because he's been a part of this for quite some time you can join us at dig me out union that's dmo union.com dmo union.com that's where you join the dig me out union there's a variety of different tiers as little as two bucks a month you get to join the conversation you get a cool sticker you can join us all the way up to the 1950 level where you run the whole show you you pull all the strings we're just marionettes dancing for you (laughs) Vote uh, uh, on albums, vote on roundtables, get yep. T-shirts. Pretty much, you're you you know you get to be the voice. We're yep. here to we're here every week to make sure this happens and the conversation occurs, and we 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 try our best to shine a light on a lot of this music that got lost. So thanks everybody for supporting it. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. It's a funny time to fall in love Feels like something pulled me up See me fall right off You drive too fast